A lot has happened over the past month in independent league baseball, and today I'm going to break down all of it. So grab a bat and step into the batter's box, because this is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright guys, back again, finally. I know it's been a while, it's been about a month here. There should be a good explanation there, but there really isn't one. Uh, vacation ate up two weeks, another week something came up, and then uh, it was a personal issue, and then after that, or last week, uh, well, there's no real good excuse for why we missed last week, so we just missed that. So apologies for that month-long hiatus, but the important thing is, we're back now. And the way we're going to do this, or well, the way I'm going to do this, as I'm the sole man here today, is break this apart into two episodes that will be released both during the week. So, episode one, which will be 24A, is just going to cover all the on-the-field play that was missed over the past month, being that our last episode was around July 8th, I believe, and being that we're recording today on August 10th and uploading this on August 10th, it just kind of makes sense. <clears throat> they call it a month. Any case, we're going to cover all that on the field stuff. So the All-Star game, I know that's like forever and a day ago, but it's there. We'll recap the first half of the Atlantic League and Canada League season. Again, it's like forever ago now, but uh, we're going to cover it anyway. And then go ahead and kind of break down how it's been so far for both of those leagues in the second half for them. We'll move on to Part B, which will be released Hopefully sometime in the early to middle part of next week, so that way they're spaced out, and then we'll get back to our regularly scheduled Friday or Saturday uploads of just a regular show. It'll just be like that. Uh, plans also to release some other content throughout the the week as kind of a, an apology to y'all for missing so many uh, so many days. So think a couple of YouTube videos, uh, nothing that in depth, and then hopefully an, uh, an article or two as well. So hopefully you'll have about a week full of content that will be all pushed out that you can enjoy throughout the week at your leisure as you see fit. But uh, with all that being said, I think we've kind of recapped the non-baseball portion of the show and all of that fairly well. So let's just dive right into the baseball. So yeah, we'll start with the Can-Am League All-Star game. I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty uneventful game. Uh, Can-Am got smacked fairly good. Being in attendance, there was a lot more fans of uh, the visiting Frontier League than I originally had expected to see there. But by and large, it was it was a fun experience to talk about the actual game itself, being that that's more what this uh, particular episode is going to focus on. Uh, Can-Am League played fairly well. Uh, Harris started the game. He pitched too strong, two hits, one walk, so three runners allowed. Not that bad. Uh, really, the, well, the two guys that really kind of duffed it I would say it would be Reyes who came in to relieve Harris in the third, and he gave up four runs on four hits, five runs. All of them were earned, didn't strike out anyone, and really allowed five base runners in one inning, which is something you just can't do. Uh, that kind of was the death knell there as Robbie Gordon and Nick Kennedy came in. They didn't really do much uh, to really help the cause. Uh, Kennedy especially, he didn't get an out. He didn't record the out, but yet he allowed a run. Now, granted, that run was unearned, and there was two hits, that he did allow as well, that got the run in. Robbie Gordon allowed a different run to come across here, but the end point is, both of them didn't do their job in getting the out, and then everybody else did fine. Um, Mulliken, he, uh, he allowed up a run, but at that point, that game was out of reach, so it really didn't make much of a difference here. 
Uh, bats for the Can-Am side, they went cold. Uh, Mikey Reynolds had a hit. Brantzima had a hit. Brissuela had a hit. And that was about it. Conrad Gorger got a hit. And then uh, uh, Trump had a pair of hits as well. But outside of that, no one else got a hit. Not great when uh, you can't muster any offense in an all-star game. You know, the one game where you kind of expect a lot of high-scoring offense, a lot of high-scoring boatload of hits, defense kind of second. That doesn't happen. It's kind of a, a bit of a surprise. But, uh, you know, that it's what happens. On the flip side, though, everyone was hitting for the Frontier League. Only guys without a hit were uh, Wawo, Kinez, and Otto. Uh, I don't really consider guys that had one at-bat uh, given a fair shot at it. But everyone else that had at least two at-bats managed one hit at the bare minimum. Uh, J.J. Fernandez was the MVP, though, uh, with his big blast that put the Frontier League ahead and kept him ahead. So, overall, as far as, as far as quality of play went, pretty meh game. Not much offense, unless, like I said, you're a Frontier League fan. But uh, outside of that, it was pretty uh, unremarkable. We'll put it like that. Uh, switching to the Atlantic League side, that was definitely not the case, though. The Atlantic League, they actually need to go into extra innings and solve that little uh, glitch in the system by going to what they call a homer off, which we'll get to that in just a minute. A 4-3 victory for them for a division that, frankly, to the to that point in the uh, season, hadn't been terribly good. Uh, I don't think there's any real surprise about that. Uh, not many teams above 500. Actually, I don't believe there were any at the break. Uh, I think 500 won that division. Yes, it did, actually, because Sugarland won that, and York fell just, just a bit shy. In any case, let's go ahead and break it down. Uh, guys that aren't really in the league anymore, as they have their contract purchaser went overseas, started this one for the Liberty Division, that'd be uh, Mr. Kubiak. Uh, David Kubiak starting there, obviously a uh, very talented pitcher. Hasn't really gotten a terribly fair shot to this point. However, hopefully he will find that in mix here. He went uh, one inning, struck out two, very strong. Joe Van Meter took over, let up a hit, but struck out two, got through the inning. Uh, Iorio, he's from Long Island, uh, I believe Joe Iorio, uh, one, one inning, three hits, no runs, no strikeouts, uh, and then Sam Reunion from High Point, he came in, allowed the first round of the game for the Liberty Division, or allowed by the Liberty Division, he struck out two, allowed three hits, but overall, you know, uh, solid there, Burke comes in, he does a good job, Rogers comes in, he does a good job, and then Clark, who has been a guy that it really has been one of the better relievers in the league so far this year from High Point. Uh, he's really not talked about that much because he is kind of more, I believe, to be more of a middle reliever type guy. Although I believe High Point does utilize him as a closer. He's really done a very good job by sneaking under the radar. He hasn't been as much of a name thus far. However, uh, he blew the save according to the box score on the Atlantic League site, which... Then again, it's the Atlantic League site, so we can't really trust anything it says, as even their standings are wrong. Any case, and also I don't know how he'd blow a score or blow a uh, save in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh inning. Uh, it's kind of hard to do. Any case, he came in, he gave up two, and then that made it a three-run game. Uh, Mike, and then Jim Fuller came in, shut the door, and then Mike Antonini shut the door from there. Uh, obviously, Antonini not there anymore, and Fuller from uh, New Britain. He's kind of in the same boat as Clark. I'm not really recognized that much, even though he's really quite a talented pitcher. 
Inkney went to Mexico uh, along with Kubiak. He's not there in Somerset anymore. He's also a very talented pitcher, which I'm almost kind of surprised he hasn't been picked up by a major league club to this point. But Denny, a veteran of all sorts of indie ball. He was with the Jackals for a little bit. Uh, in any case, let's flip over to the freedom side of things. Atkins got the game going. Uh, two hits, one strikeout, got through that inning. Daryl Thompson, who was the pitcher of the week last week in the Atlantic League, uh, he allowed two runs, both earned, uh, in his inning of work. So that gave the uh, Liberty Division a early lead, a 2-0 lead. Uh, Pimitel came in, he shut the door. Uh, Munson shut the door. He's also another uh, Pimitel from uh, Sugarland, and then Munson from in Southern Maryland. Uh, McCrane came in, or McGrain. I believe he's a York Revolution pitcher. He didn't allow anything, and at this point now, they had, uh, they were closing on taking that lead. It was coming up here. McGrain's came out at the sixth. Latos came in through two strong innings. At this point now, they took the lead after getting those hits off of Clark, so now the Freedom led. Cody Epley came in for the save, and he just couldn't shut the door. He allowed that one earned run in that inning of work. We went to extra innings and a home run off. Um, and that's just how the book read there. Uh, basically, everyone got in. Logan Moore, your surprising guy of the day, seeing as he got a home run that was critical in that late ninth inning off of Cody Epley, a guy that widely everyone that follows the Atlantic League was kind of wondering, why is he here? He wasn't batting 200. He really shouldn't be in an all-star game. It was kind of surprising to see him there, but he proved his worth there and has since been on a huge tear. So I guess this was kind of like the shot in the arm that he needed to really get going so far. Uh, outside of that, there really was no other uh, major notable performances. Mike Ullman was doing good, and same thing with Will Kenger. Uh, they always do well, on the Liberty Division side at least. Uh, on the flip side, uh, Isaiah Tejada, he has been, he's really been on a torn pace coming into the All-Star break, but since has been just on fire, and while he was, you know, playing first base for the Freedom Division, past All-Star game, he did very well too. He got himself a pair of ribbies and a pair of hits on in four at-bats. Wellington Dotel also had a good day. Uh, two for four for him. No other real notables to mention on the Freedom Division side of things. The important part of this is really the fact that the game was decided by a home off, which is essentially a home run derby. Isaiah Dada hitting one over, I believe, what they call the arch nemesis, but the important thing to know is it's just a giant wall out in left field uh, to win it uh, overall. Exciting game, the complete opposite of what the uh, Can-Am was, which is a very close, hard-fought game here by the Atlantic League teams, and overall very enjoyable. Kind of makes me wish I would have went to that one as opposed to the Can-Am one, but uh, Can-Am's closer, so they won out for that. any case, I think we've talked about a month-old game long enough, and I think we can move on to... Alright, so let's get talking about the first half of the Atlantic League now. So, first half of the season, it was very much dominated by the Liberty Division. Our freedom division was very bad. <laughs> There's no real secret there. We hammered that point home numerous times on numerous shows that that division was just really the one of the worst, and was really the worst we had seen it been in quite some time, and was by far uh, the worst, or the uh, the least competitive of the two. Uh, we'll talk about the that division now. No one really deserved the playoff spot from winning that division. Uh, Sugarland won it by being 500, I believe a 35 and 35 record. York fell just shy about a game or so back of claiming it. But by and large, it was just very poor. It was just not very good play. York came on strong 
towards the end there, about the last three weeks or so, they've made a very large playoff push, coming back from being some 17 games back at one point. And it was just a very impressive feat by them. And really, they showed that they had a lot more in them than I gave them credit for. I figured that their bullpen pitching was just so bad that it just, that's how it would be. I didn't really believe in the offense on this team. I knew Nash and Tejada, obviously, of course, guys like uh, Dotel. I knew they had the potential for it. And then when they got the skeleton in there, he also has a little bit of pop potential. Although uh, I don't think we've really seen that yet, especially not in the first half. While that was there, I just thought that the lack of pitching really would hold them back. Because while, yeah, you can outslug a couple of teams here, when you look at the guys who are going to be playing in this league, um, I thought that the pitching staff would be uh, more of an issue than it really turned out to be. So they managed to really rebound from that, and they've rolled that hot streak down into the second half here, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But really, outside of that little streak there in Sugarlands, there are two-week stretches where they win seven games in a row, then they'll lose a game, then they'll win another seven. Outside of those few stretches that they had, really quite abysmal. Blue Claws start off a bit hot, as they do always. They quickly nosedive. Lancaster never really got off their feet. They've kind of been tripping over themselves this whole time. And like I was saying with Sugarland, uh, towards the end, they really just took a nosedive. They just couldn't win a game to save their life. And now they're realizing that, too, in the second half here, where they're struggling to uh, maintain their hold on the division. Now, granted, York's going to win this division now which is very surprising to me. If you would have told me um, two months ago that York would be your uh, clubhouse leader for, for taking the second half of the division, I would be shocked. I would have naturally assumed, oh, well, I guess Sugarland's um, uh, resting a bunch of guys here. But in fact, no, they're just not being able to really keep pace here. Well, yes, there's seven games above 500 Sugarland. That is, York's just a better team at this point. 19-9 and says a lot. Well, yeah, York had a rough series against the Patriots this past weekend, and they're still a really good team. Uh, Tejada having that hot stretch right out of the All-Star break, where he homered, and I believe it was like five or seven straight games. That's just unheard of. He just he was mashing the ball. Telford Nash was getting in on it. Tell was finally starting to wake up. Everyone was really doing their job, and then the pitching staff woke up, and then we saw how dangerous this team could really be. Something I thought was really going to hold them back, especially after Detweiler, who's now pitching for the White Sox, left. I thought that was really going to be the death knell for uh, for York and their season, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, on the flip side, with Sugarland, since the first episode discussing their season, and he was saying the starting pitching is a concern. I understand it's only a couple of games, and we shouldn't get too panicky about it. But man, their starting pitching really isn't good. And I still don't believe in it because we've been burned by it so many times. And you know, as soon as there's like one or two good starters that emerge, they're going to get their contract purchased, which is great for them. And really is, if you think about the purpose of the league, is to get these guys that are a bit too old for teams to keep them around from the get-go, get them back into the system and back to the major leagues in some cases. But for the actual play on the field, for in increasing their team that's in the Atlantic League, increasing their chances of winning, it's not great for them. And that's going to be a major problem for them kind of going forward here. I'm really just, I'm not sold here on anything I see from that pitching staff from them. Uh, Southern Maryland, I kind of expect them to do the usual regress, uh, regressing deal. Uh, that's kind of expected at this point. 
I don't think I don't think they're going to be in there for much longer. I think they're going to kind of drop off. That's kind of expected. Again, just kind of circling back to Sugarland here. Uh, DeJong seems like he's pitching well. I know we pitched the other day. Lionheart's all right. Uh, Dallas Beeler, a guy I covered way back when we did the preview. Again, he's pitching okay, but you can't count on him forever. I believe Bergman's now back with them as well. It's I'm not a big fan of any any of the pitchers on that staff, so I can't really uh, confidently say that I like them. I mean, how like once again, you gotta really look at like I think my biggest hang-up here with really giving Sugarland a lot of credit is they barely snuck out a win that first half. While they're playing good to start, they've proven that they're not really uh, a safe bet anymore in the sense that they they can blow it really easily. And York's been so hot. When you have a hot team compared to with a team that's known for not really keeping the lead, it's hard for me to say that with an absolute certainty that... Uh, this team is going to go far because I frankly just don't think it is. I think they're going to kind of finish in that second spot. I think York's going to slide right on in to claim that that uh, second half divisional crown. In any case, I think we've kind of discussed the Freedom Division enough. We can kind of now switch perspective to the Liberty Division, which was very interesting to watch in the first half. There was a long fight there until that last real uh, Somerset Long Island series that saw Long Island win a couple of key games take that Liberty Division and crown and just come out on top of Somerset. And the effects of that have been seen. Uh, Somerset struggled to start the second half, 6 and 16 at one point. They've now kind of rallied to 10 and 18. So they've gotten better. They won 4 and 2 in their last bit. They're on a bit of a rough patch. Uh, they lost one game to York and then last night they lost again, 8 nothing to the Sugarland Skeeters. So the Skeeters are... Uh, they may be able to capitalize off of uh, the Patriots' woes, but I still think they'll be able to come back. Uh, the biggest problem for Somerset was staying healthy and having bodies. Uh, Paredes has been on and off injured. When he's in the lineup playing, they're winning. When he's not, they're not. Uh, really a lack of offense coming from anywhere else. The, the catcher position has been providing something, whether it's Ullman or Gonzalez. Uh, Espinal, again, he's providing something. Uh, Ken Gore comes up, although he's not been his usual self lately, although he's still producing. Uh, but the biggest problem by far, more so than injury, was losing guys like Antonini, Kubiak, Sheshrine, Shesh, uh, I believe is how it's pronounced, and then losing Ramon Flores. Those are four key guys, especially on that front end. Then not to mention, they also lost Brett Olbeholzer. They also lost a couple of other starters. I believe they're, they're about to lose uh, Thomas Dormady. Uh, I've seen as he was scratched from the start last night, and then they gave that to uh, Bobby Blevins. It seems an awful lot like, with all these guys moving out, having the contracts purchased and the like, kind of trying to patch holes in the ship, which it's not really working out for them so far. Uh, they're doing an admirable job, I suppose, but they're in last place it stands right now. But they are a resilient team, so I could see them easily bouncing back. But as Somerset's real problem is they just need to get the right guys in uh, they definitely have the talent. There is enough players on that team to mount together. And as we saw just in that York series, they took three or four from that hottest team in the Atlantic League in York. So they definitely have the talent there. Like I said, it's a matter of getting Paredes healthy, getting Kraus back in the lineup, and really just getting one or two other guys in there. Uh, my biggest concern for them that I'm going to kind of keep an eye on for the whole second half 
It's just how the rotation is able to cope with losing Dormady, Kubiak, and Oberholzer all at one shot. Uh, that's pretty big. Obviously, I'd assume O'Sullivan uh, and Rick Teasley, who threw a perfect game, which that was very impressive, and even more impressive, they managed to lose a perfect game. Uh, that's not easy to do. I imagine it's got to be Teasley and O'Sullivan that really are leading the charge. Uh, I believe Kuzma is still here, so he's got to be on there too. Uh, Blemons and then Roy Merritt, who's away from the team right now. He needs to get back in there. I understand he's dealing with uh, family issues, but uh, as soon as he's able to go, he needs to get in there for uh, Somerset's sake. But uh, it's uh, not going to be easy for the Patriots to kind of recover from this. They're already six back, and with uh, High Point really doing a good job so far in the second half, I gotta imagine it's not going to get any easier for them. Uh, with that being said, we'll kind of go to Long Island now. Who, while they won that first half, they've struggled to get going in the second half. Awesome, a lot with them, contracts being purchased, and then generally just hitting a slump. They're just not hitting the ball. Pitching's going alright, it's going fine, they're never really getting that, they're not getting lit up too bad on any given night, but just generally speaking, their bats are just going silent. Also, losing David Washington to injury also doesn't help. There's obviously some guys there that are doing their job still. Uh, Fields and the Mazzilli, to an extent, are the most notable guys on there, but by and large, a lot of these guys have just kind of hit a slump lately, and it's it's going to be a major problem for uh, for the Ducks if they can't get out of that slump. The other pitching staff, like I said, uh, the pitching staff is certainly there. Darren Downs being there, Beato being there, and guys like that. Uh, Vin Mazzaro, who's managed to shift nicely into that starter's role. Uh, Matt Sue, who's come back and pitched very well for them. Uh, Brandon Beachy, who's now there. Well, I imagine they're going to utilize him in a uh, starter's capacity fairly soon, which is kind of surprising. I would have thought uh, they, that Summers would have liked Dr. BG. He could have slotted into that starter's role. I understand with the arm injury, he's probably not able to throw it as hard and as long anymore, but given what you have at the moment, he could be a nice replacement for uh, Oberholzer, who I believe they're actually, I believe Oberholzer and uh, BG were both teammates with the Pelicans back. Looking at Long Island's bats here, you got to look at Darby Myers, he slowed down a bit, but he's still hitting fairly well. Uh, TJ Rivera they had and then lost him, which was a very big loss because Rivera was doing very well and proving that he still definitely deserves a shot in this league. Uh, losing Den Decker and losing uh, Newman Heist, both retiring, that was also a big blow to them as well. Uh, just by and large here, it's not uh, looking so good. Although, once again, I'd just like to point out that the uh, over 40-year-old Lou uh, Ford he is also playing fairly well this season. I just want to point that out. He is batting 286. While not playing great as of late, Lou Ford is still raking. But, uh, in Long Island's case, they just need to start hitting again. Once they start hitting, they'll hit a groove, and once they hit the groove, they're, they're in good shape. They're only two and a half back of the division lead. So with High Point, uh, they've had a very good start to the year. I expect them to be hot because, you know, the whole new team, new franchise aspect of things here. But I didn't expect them to be this good. Uh, 11 games over 500 in the first half. They didn't. They obviously didn't win the division because it was a very competitive division. But now they've come out with just fire in their gullet to try and win this division so far. And by and large, they're proving that they deserve this division more than anybody else does, as they have won uh, four games over 500. Uh, 16 and 12, their record is. Uh, they look like they should be the front runner at the moment to win the division. However. I'm still not ruling out Long Island. 
I still like them a lot. They have a lot of former Major League talent on that team. And for that reason alone, I think they deserve to uh, really be considered the front runner. Uh, then also the fact that Lions is a very talented team that's just in the slump at the moment. And the second they get out of it, it's going to be a real dogfight. Obviously, in the way of uh, High Point, what's working for them, uh, Cardulo is in a little bit of a slump at the moment, but he's certainly a guy that's working for them. Uh, Giovanni Alonso's been here the whole year, and he's decent enough at getting on base. Not the best, but he's he provides a lot to the team here. So, I mean, he works in that capacity. Uh, by and large, though, looking at their, really at their roster here for for guys here that you're looking to see a lot out of, uh, it's Hector Gomez. It's really the guy that's going to be the go-to guy for them and the guy to watch. Uh, if he can continue to bat well, then you're good. Pitching-wise, guys like Taylor Huron and Joe Van Meter are going to lead the way. It's going to be how, just how it is uh, going forward. If they can do their job, then all will be well there. If uh, they can't, it's going to be a bit rough. Uh, Reunion also is a very solid pitcher for them. So I expect him to keep it up, and also Evan Carl. Really, it's their pitching staff that I like a whole lot. Uh, if they can keep doing it, then I expect them to win. If they can't, then it's going to be kind of uh, going to be kind of shaky. So I think overall, we're kind of giving a good recap of everything so far in the Atlantic League. Uh, let's kind of shift now and hit up the Can-Am League, whilst we still have the time. So in the Can-Am League, it's been no secret the first half leader by far was uh, Sussex County again. I thought they are going to be in a bit of a slump, but they have proven very much so that they are the uh, top dog in this league, especially in that first half, sending the most people to the All-Star game. Not that that really helped much, but by and large, they've been good on basically every front. Frank Duncan leading the way on the pitching staff um, with the bats, guys like uh, Siriaco again, <clears throat> Trey Hare, Brizuela, everyone and everyone under the sun really has been doing a very good job and then when they added Mikey Reynolds a little bit ago he's really just been like even more of a shot in the arm for them and has just totally dominated uh, since coming over here to the point where now at this point in the season 46 and 27 a 630 winning percentage and that's with a three game losing skid mind you uh, obviously it's a big series this week against the Jackals they lost two yesterday to them uh, pretty bad losses to a shutout and then a nine-run loss. So they're going to look to try and get on top of that uh, going forward here, but I'm still not very concerned about it. People chasing them down. It's been kind of a dogfight for that second position. Uh, uh, Dre Rivier and the Jackals have really been the two guys competing for that other spot here with the boulders jumping up every once in a while too. And even Ottawa had some, uh, some spurts in the first half there, but then they've kind of gone downhill both on and off the field. For them, really the only team that's really been truly out of it so far for the whole year and looks like their season is kind of done here in the beginning of August is uh, the Capitals, who I thought were going to be a real championship contender. They returned a lot of guys from last year's team, a lot of veteran guys that knew what they were doing. They added a couple nice pieces, but by and large, they just really haven't done it. 28-45, and 45, a really bad record for them, under a 400 winning percentage and 18 games back. So it's looking like they're... Uh, Looks like their season's done here, and honestly, the champs look like they're out of it too, being 14 games under 500, 30 and 44, uh, 16 and a half back. It's not looking great for them. However, it is important to note here that that's not games out of a playoff spot. The real magic number here is chasing that Rockland. Now, granted, 
there's not much better off. Uh, let's see, the champs would be, they got six more wins, or six more losses with five less wins, so about eight games back. And on the flip side, they're about nine and a half back from, or no, I believe it's about ten and a half back for Quebec. Uh, yeah, so that's not great for them. Uh, or maybe not half yeah, for the first time around. A nine and a half back of that last playoff spot. So as of right now, it looks like Rockland at 35 and 38 is going to be sneaking in. Uh, but there's always that one team that's hovering around 500 that sneaks in, especially when you have a couple of really strong teams. All right, now, so let's kind of dive in and break down each of these teams here real quick and just see where they're at. Uh, naturally speaking, uh, Sussex County, as we've been saying, is really quite the dominant force here. Um, they've, they're dominant in every aspect of it. If you want to break it down any which way, they're still uh, by far the best best team here. Uh, guys like Brace, uh, like I said, with Jose Brizuela, batting over 300. If you want to look at other guys here, um, Siriaco batting nearly 350. Nate Coronado, who they added from Lancaster earlier in the year, batting over 350. Uh, they've really kind of been picking up everybody and anybody. And that's good so far this year. And it's really been paying off in spades for them. Uh, Trey Hare, like I said, he's been batting over 300 the whole year. Everybody's just doing their job. Uh, Nick Saharian, he's still there, and he's still batting pretty good off the bench and getting his spot starts in there. Uh, very strong for him. Uh, Jerry Medeiros, he returned and has been proving that he deserves a spot in this lineup. Uh, 270, uh, batting just over 270. He's doing a great job there. Uh, Mikey Reynolds slowed down a little bit, but overall he's still playing very well. Like I was saying, uh, Frank Duncan, even the pitcher that's really been doing very strong, he's even batting 250. Uh, Grant, he's only had a, a handful of plate appearances, but still impressive. Love to see a pitcher hitting, as we all know. Uh, Brian Mayer, another guy that was a castaway from Lancaster from early in the year, he's gotten in there a handful of times as well. Uh, just really, if you look up and down this whole lineup, it's very good. And that's not to mention the fact they added Colleen Sams, who was like a wrecking crew last year in this league. And two for the like, Capitals, which is kind of surprising he didn't go back to Quebec, but uh, so be it. And he's just been doing very, very well so far for their uh, in his limited action for the minors there. Pitching side, like I've, like I've been saying, Duncan's leading the way, just absolutely dominant so far. Uh, Jeff Thompson, also very good. Uh, David Paldino, He's had a couple of real rocky starts there, particularly an afternoon one against the Jackals about a month or so back. But uh, by and large here, it, it, they've been playing very well. And there's very little concern coming over here. And then the fact that they have what I believe to be the best closer in the, in the Can-Am League, and Jose Jose, yes, his name is a double, uh, he's just been... He's been very good, and they've also been using Ryan Newell for some saves as well, too. Who's uh, He's been pitching well, too. And let's kind of take a look now at uh, three refers here. Uh, we're going to kind of just skip over Ottawa and Quebec. Uh, sorry for you guys, but your, your teams are really just... I'm sorry, but they're kind of out of it. Uh, we'll, keep up to, we'll keep up to date with them, but they're not really worth covering in the limited time here. But shifting more now into looking at why these guys have been so good. Uh, the, I'm just going to give the, the anglicized version of the Eagles. I'm not going with Eagles. Um, David Glaude and Michael Succi are really your two keys, and then obviously uh, Taylor Brennan. Uh, these guys have just been doing extremely well. Uh, uh, yeah, so Raphael Gladeau has been very strong here to this point, 
And when you combine all these guys on one team, it's really the backing that's keeping them afloat here, from what it seems like. Uh, Taylor Brennan, he's still providing for power. His hitting for average really isn't doing much. Tucker Nathans is also an interesting guy. He has a mix of power and a bat, so he's very uh, he's very interesting. But like I said, Gledo is really the guy that is to watch. A 24-year-old, I believe, he's a castaway from the Mets system. Uh, and also uh, Gledo from... Uh, up a little bit, he's also a castaway for the Mets system from right. Uh, let me just give you a quick check so that way I know uh, for right now. No, I'm mistaking uh, David Gladue. Now he's an undrafted college guy. Uh, I must be thinking of the uh, other one here, Rafael Gladue. Uh, that's really how it looks like for them. It looks like there are a couple of key bats that are really keeping them afloat. And pitching-wise, pitching-wise, they don't really seem to have many guys. Uh, Brandon Baker and Garrett Harris are really the two standouts here uh, for them. But outside of that... Not seeing terribly much else here. Um, Garrett Mundell, he's also a very solid closer for them. 16 saves. But uh, I'm not seeing much else here. They got El Haj Muhammad after the Blue Clamps released him. Uh, he hasn't done terribly much for them so far. And then uh, Dominic Mazza, I believe, has also gotten some substantial innings for them. Who's also played fairly well as well. So that could be the cause there. But uh, outside of them... Uh, kind of shifting our attention now to the Jackals here, and then we'll go over to Rockland real quick and call it an episode after that, as this is getting long. On the flip side here, we look at the Jackals, who are kind of chasing everyone down at the moment, or, well, chasing down the Miners and the Eagles. Alfredo Marte's kind of stepped up and done fairly well. David Harris has jumped in, and he had an 11 of 11 night last night, so extremely good. Now, granted, it's from a doubleheader, but point remains. Uh, Wenrick also has pitched, or has not pitched well, he's hit very well too. Conroy Quicker doing what's expected of him, and Jay Gonzalez also contributing. Uh, really, everyone on this team's hitting. And when everybody's hitting, it's all well. Uh, pitching is a kind of a concern for me. Uh, Lindy Castile has had his ups and his downs for them so far this year. Uh, Reyes is normally a good pitcher, but he's kind of prone to blow ups, like, on occasion. I'll say that there really isn't terribly many, uh, there aren't really many reliable bullpen arms in front of this team here. Uh, obviously losing Cabrera to the uh, Atlantic League is not exactly great for their odds, but I think they can overcome that. Dylan Brammer and uh, Kellyus look like the two guys they are going to be the go-to guys now, and they really got to contribute here. Uh, Brammer, there's no surprise there. He's a lights-out kind of closer, and I know he's 29 here, but I still would have given him a shot and with a double-A team. But uh, maybe Kellyus can get a shot here, or Matt Vogel. We'll get a, uh, that's the situation in New Jersey. Uh, as long as the pitching holds up, they should continue to, uh, continue on their torrent pace, as it were. They're fighting. They're fighting to take that spot. And, I mean, they're only about three game, three, three and a half back of catching, uh, three rivers. So, they go on a bit of a slump. New Jersey gets hot. And that's very possible. As far as Rockland's concerned, uh, the name of their game is Ryan Burke and, and Grant Heyman. Uh, that's really how they, uh, like, there's other guys, Aberstein's been a notable one, Ehrlich's been another good one, uh, but by and large, those are really the only two guys I'm really seeing here that are jumping out at me, Ryan Burke and Grant Heyman, both of them are very, they're clutch hitters, they know, they're professional hitters, really. No one else is jumping out that much, Oberstein does have a higher, uh, batting average and less, uh, bats, although it's kind of negligible. So I guess you could argue him, but um, by and large, I'm more of a Heyman fan there. Uh, Pitching-wise, it's been an adventure, though, for them. Uh, there really isn't a, 
Not a great pitcher on the staff. Nick Kennedy's been your best guy out of the pen. But uh, the real has been a great guy starting this year. Holyfield's been all right. And same thing with um, Gordon. But Zoken, he hasn't really made the transition to being a starter all too well. Mulry's been not really given enough time for me to make a conclusion on him. But he looks like he's promising. Uh, by and large, it seems an awful lot like a plug-and-play type system here that uh, hopefully will work out for them, but clearly so far hasn't been working out all too well for them. But that'll be something to watch in the second half now, won't it be? I think that's a pretty good summary of the Can-Am and the Atlantic so far uh, that we've seen here. And like I said, we'll go back to our regular schedule programming next week. But throughout the rest of this week, you're going to get this episode that was strictly about the play on the field. Uh, there should be another episode around Tuesday, Wednesday that comes out that will be strictly about the off-the-field things that we missed. With all that being said and nothing else left to add, I think that's a great place to leave it off. Until we speak next time, don't forget to play ball.